American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. And here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard, I don't have a maroon today. Wearing all black, got the Kiss Destroyer shirt on, some new black shorts the wife got me for my birthday, uh, Chuck Taylors, not Maroon Friday for me, but I promise you I will be in uh, game-ready shape soon. I guess I could have put on a Maroon shirt today, but I didn't, I didn't, but uh, we will be celebrating Maroon Friday every Friday during football season. And uh, it's great that we live in a country we can celebrate Maroon Friday as we choose. They haven't taken that right away from us yet. Not to get too political. But nevertheless, hope it's a great day for you. Hope it's payday for you. Hope you get out and go do some cool things. Is there anything better than payday? I mean, your birthday's great, but sometimes that's not... You know what I mean? I don't like people making a big fuss over me. Maybe you do. I, I don't. But payday's a good day. Right? Because there's always some nagging things you need to take care of, you know. And uh, I'll give you guys a bit of an update, too, on the business. You know, my wife's, I'm opening a business with my wife and um, close to finalizing a real estate deal on that. And so we'll have a location and we'll have some social media push about that in the, uh, in the weeks to come. It's been a long process, longer than I hoped. But all that said, we're close. We're close. And uh, went and looked at a space today and you know, we thought we were close on another one didn't work out. It's okay. Life moves on. But uh, nevertheless, we're close. So I'll share that with you soon. Again, that's True Rest. It's a float spot therapy place. And uh, I got a couple people that have contacted me because they're interested in perhaps bringing this wonderful franchise to their neck of the woods. I'm happy to say that the very first one in the state of Mississippi is going to be in Stark Vegas. How about that? We're making Starkville a better place, man. I, you know, I'm not just a Mississippi State guy. Right, I, I was. And then I moved to Starkville full time, and uh, I love it here. I do. And like when people talk negatively about Starkville, it does bother me. But a lot of times I understand that that's out of ignorance, right? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, would you trust me to give you, you know, traveling tips for Las Vegas? And I've never been. That's true. I've never been to Vegas. Maybe you've been. I'd love to go and take some of their money at the blackjack table. But all that said. I've never been to Vegas. So a lot of these people that have these uh, negative opinions of Starkville, you know, either they've never been and they've just jumped aboard this collective uh, think tank type approach or they've come here for like one game. They just happen to be passing through. And uh, Starkville is a convenient punching bag for a lot of people. I'll tell you, the very first time I covered at Auburn, I told Mark Murphy, I said, I'm not going to listen to any more shots about Starkville. Because Auburn, Alabama is out here in the middle of nowhere. Auburn's just a bigger version of Starkville. And I love going to Auburn. I do. Love that fan base. I do. I know many of you don't. I do. They're kind of our kissing cousins across the state line. 
But all that said, uh, I love it here. I do. I love the people here. And uh, Mississippi State is a wonderful, wonderful place to go to school, a wonderful place to work, a wonderful place to be affiliated with. But I tell you this, the people of Starkville are outstanding. That's one of the things I tell you. I, I won't tell you who because I don't want to embarrass them. But, uh, you know, I, I spoke to somebody, you know, one of our – let's just say somebody – that has spent some time in Starkville, let's say that. And uh, they said, you know, I didn't realize, I didn't realize the people in my hometown were as unfriendly as they were until I came to Starkville, Mississippi. And I thought, is this, is this typical? And the truth of the matter, it is. It's a great place to raise a family, it is. And I mean, the Chamber of Commerce didn't pay me to say this, and I don't want too many of you to, to move here, right? Because I don't want to have to wait for a table at my favorite restaurants and things like that. But, uh, but all that said, man, it is a great place to live and a great place to raise a family. So if you're thinking about moving your family to Golden Triangle, think about Starkville. And Riyadh Real Estate's a little bit pricier here, but it's so worth it, man. It's so worth it to me. I, I love being here. I absolutely do. And uh, I, I'm here until she puts me in the nursing home. And if she does do that, I hope it's a nursing home here in Starkville. I hope I never have to do that. But uh, I'm home, man. I'm home, and there have been so many people in the past that, um, you know, when I was coming up the ranks, you know, I worked for Fox Sports for a while, and I uh, had some other opportunities. Uh, there were some people that popped up and said, hey, would you be willing to do this? You know, I lived in Baton Rouge 16 years, and uh, I figured that was enough time in the mission field. It was time to come home, and uh, I just tell you, man, I, I love being here. I love the people. I love being as close to Mississippi State. I love how the city really gets behind the university especially on game day weekends, and uh, welcomes you guys back to town. But, you know, when I've had other opportunities in the past, the thing I've always thought about is, you know, number one, how much more travel is it going to be? Because I do a ton of that now. But also, too, you know, what does it require me to do? You know, how, how much am I going to be away from Starkville? And when I, we, my wife and I made the decision to move up here, to me, it was like, hey, this is where, this is going to be a cool thing. And I remember selling my girls on, on the idea of going to Starville High School. I was like, you know what? We're going to be really good in football. We're going to be really good in basketball. You're going to get a chance to see your classmates uh, compete for state championships. And, uh, of course, you know, they did. They got to see the Starville Yellow Jacket ladies win a state championship. They got to see the football team win a state, multiple state championships. And uh, that's a really cool thing. And so if you're thinking about it, get off the fence, man. Come up here and be a Stark villain like the rest of us. But I, I think about that so much when I go back to the Justin Parker interview. When uh, I interviewed him, there were a lot of things. I did my due diligence and kind of found out prior to him taking the job. You know, he's a small-town guy. And so when the idea of Mark Kingston taking the job at Miami popped up, there were a lot of people in college baseball circles who said, hey, you know, he's not, he's not willing to go to Miami. He really doesn't want to take his family down there. He and his wife have a young, a young son, and uh, I've joked with him, the next one needs to be uh, called Duty Noble. But I digress. But that's one thing he talked about when he came here. He said, when we visited here outside of baseball and got to see the town and got to meet people, and got to uh, spend some time with the baseball staff, Starkville fit them to a T. And so there are a lot of people out there that maybe Starkville doesn't fit. You know, maybe you're a big city girl or guy. I don't know. I, I can tell you, I'm glad that I've had those experiences in life, but I much prefer this. 
You know, I grew up in Columbia, Mississippi. I could not wait to get out of Mississippi. Couldn't wait. Then I went out and spent some time, traveled around the country, lived in other parts uh, of the South, had a great time, but I was ready to get back. And I thought to myself, as my kids grew up in Baton Rouge when we moved here, I thought, you know, I'm glad they're going to get the opportunity to know what it's like to live in small-town Mississippi. Even though Mississippi State in Starkville is not typical small-town Mississippi, there is just a core value system here that I think is difficult to beat. And uh, I'm glad that, that my children had the opportunity to know what it was like uh, to spend some time here and grow up here, and uh, now Starkville's home. And uh, proud to say that I got three Starville High School Yellow Jacket alums uh, in our family. So there you go. Wasn't planning to have this uh, TED talk with you about the greater parts of Starkville, but here we are, nevertheless. I love it here. I absolutely do. And, that, and nobody's paying me to say that. It's just a, my free endorsement of the place that we choose to call home. We could live anywhere. We absolutely We have proven that, you know. But uh, we love it here, and I plan to be here until the end. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. They're in Starkville, too. Maybe you've heard. The genesis of that great hamburger empire right here on University Drive in Starkville. I love Bulldog Burger Company, and one of the main reasons why is I know what to expect. I know it's going to be a quality experience. I know I'm going to get great food. I'm going to get great service at a great price and a great very, very attractive location. It doesn't matter which of the three I choose, whether it be University Drive here, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo or Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. I, there's a consistency with service. And that's one of the things that so many people, they kind of favor the natural chains because, hey, I know what I'm going to get. You know, I kind of avoid local places. I'm not of that sort. But you know what? You're going to get small town service, but you're going to get big town consistency when it comes to Bulldog Burger Company. Go by, have a great restaurant quality hamburger, get the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you better looking and get that chocolate shake to go. I'm still on that Nutella kick. I, I love it. I absolutely love getting that Nutella shake to go because I like a little palate cleanser. I don't know how you guys are when you have your meals, but I got to have a little something sweet. You know, I just do. And I get that chocolate shake and uh, I drink it on the way home. And if I don't finish it, I put it in the fridge and have it with my breakfast because I'm about that life. You should be about the Bulldog Burger Company life, too. It is a place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T, Bulldog Burger Company. All right, let's jump into a couple things. The NCAA transfer portal has closed for spring sport athletes. Now, that doesn't mean that people can't still go in the portal. However, they will not be able to be eligible to play this coming year. That make sense? So anybody that plans to play next year and use their one-time transfer exception had to be in by yesterday. There was one final diamond dog that slipped in under the fence before they closed the portal, and that's Hollis Porter. He, uh, he did not play in his two years here in the program. We wish him the absolute best. Uh, related to Trey Porter, former designated hitter here at Mississippi State, a product of East Central High School, same place that Brad Cumbus went to school, um, yeah, we think a lot of them, but uh, it didn't work out, and that's okay. It's not everybody's fault. You know, it's a, again, you get a short time in life to play ball. You got to be somewhere you can get on the field. And so we wish Hollis the best. And so, give you a quick update. You know, it's like when you look at all this, and like I wrote an article about this earlier, and people are like, you know what? Hey, this is probably a best case scenario for us. I would argue that's probably the case. Probably could have seen one or two more guys go, but. Um, 
Lane Forsyth, of course, goes into the portal. Your former starting starting shortstop, and I've got nothing negative to say about Lane. Uh, we don't win the NAFL championship without Lane in 2021. Of course, he made the all-college World Series team. We appreciate it. It didn't work out last year. I don't know if he got the yips or whatever, if it got in his head, but uh, he was not the same defensive shortstop last year. Sometimes offensively, he was hitting the baseball as well as he had at any point in his career. But at the end of the day, he lost a starting job, goes in the portal. He's now headed to Oklahoma State. Wish Lane the best in his final year of college eligibility. Uh, Graham Eintema was a guy that uh, you know we took out of junior college. And in the fall last year, he was outstanding. And against a lineup, a you know, Bulldog lineup, that proved to be pretty good offensively, Eintema was really good. But once we got into the season, things just didn't work out. You know, we, he had that great uh, start against Arizona State. Had a little first inning trouble there. But uh, after he beat Arizona State, we thought, okay, maybe we got something here. You know, maybe, maybe we're good. And it never really kind of came together. And we got into SEC play, and uh, he was basically just doing bad practice sometimes. He is now headed to Mercer. And uh, perhaps that's a place that, that he can play and contribute. Again, it didn't work out here. But we wish no ill will on Graham Eintema. And appreciate his contributions to Mississippi State, as limited as they may be in the short time he was here. But he is now headed to Mercer, so he's found somewhere to play. Uh, we had a pair of freshman catchers go in the portal, Bryce Hubbard and Ryan Williams. Of course, he had three catchers, and we discussed some of that on Wednesday, how we had gotten a little out of balance at the catcher position by signing three in one class. And, of course, when one of those guys wins a job, then the other two guys are like, you know what, I'm not going to waste another year of eligibility here. You know, Ryan Williams, of course, didn't play last year, so he could take a red shirt. He still has four years of eligibility to play. Bryce Hubbard did play a little bit and uh, was a guy that could swing it a little bit. Defensively, he was behind Ross, but uh, was a guy that had a pretty good bat. But those two are still in the portal, have not announced destinations yet. Again, we wish them the best. Von Siebert, you know, a guy that's been here for a while, he saw his options really limited last year. He did have a lot of at-bats for us during the 2022 season. He was kind of our left-handed pinch hitter of choice. And uh, at times came through. Had some big hits at times, but uh, this year just not nearly as many opportunities. And uh, he is now in the portal. I have heard that he may be headed to Delta State. He has not released that that I've seen. I checked again yesterday. But uh, he may be headed to Delta State. And, again, we wish Vaughn the best. This is a guy that was a product of the Mississippi Junior College system. Uh, had, had a really good career in junior college. But it just never kind of came together here. And he's a bit of a top-handed hitter, too. You know, that's one of those things, too. You know, when you get into the SEC, hitting mechanics really means something. And I think Vaughn's a guy that um, – it was basically a singles hitter here, by and large. But um, – you know, just never really found a chance to break into the starting lineup. And with Hunter Hines at first base, I mean, he's, he's not going to play out there. You know, he's just, he's just not. And uh, not consistent enough uh, to be our designated hitter. Of course, last year we were kind of left-handed heavy. But, uh, again, wish Vaughn the best. Uh, a great young man. Had a chance to talk to him a few times. And uh, I got it. was really proud to be here. And, again, it didn't work out. It's not, every, it's not always somebody's fault. We wish Vaughn the best, whether it be Delta State or somewhere else. Slate Alford, of course, uh, announced weeks ago, headed to the University of Georgia. And uh, excited, you know, for Slate to get another chance. I'll tell you, you know, Slate has kind of been beaten up at times by our fans. And some of that is warranted, right? I and mean, let's just kind of call it for what it is. I mean, you know, he did have some defensive uh, lapses last year. And uh, if I remember the numbers, it's been a while since I looked at all this. 
I think Slate Alford was probably – let me think the best way to say this. I think as far as failed double plays turned, right, double play opportunities, I think he was a part of the most of those, where we had opportunities to turn double plays and were unsuccessful in doing so, whether it be a 5-4-3 or whatever. Uh, there were multiple situations where you have a chance to get out of a potential big inning. We weren't able to do that, and Slate was a part of that. And uh, maybe the change of scenery will do him good. It's a guy that's got some talent and uh, at times uh, struggles to hit that inside pitch. I mean, it's a little, you know, sometimes people can get in his kitchen a little bit. But when he's able to connect and have a really solid point of contact, he's a guy that's real flashy. He really, really is. As you guys know, he hit a ton of home runs last summer, and we thought he was going to take over and be the guy. And uh, talking to some of our players, you know, back in 2021, they were telling me Slate Offer was our best defensive third baseman on the team, that the bat just needed to come along. And so last year we're like, hey, look at this big summer he's putting up at the plate. You couple that with, uh, you know, his defense, we really have something here. And, again, it didn't work out. It didn't work out. And, uh, again, you know, wish Slate the best as he kind of moves forward. But uh, we had to make some changes when it came to our lineup. And, um I don't think you could guarantee Slate a starting spot. I mean, would that be fair to everybody else? I'd say no. So you had to bring in some competition to third. And uh, so he's kind of now moved on to. And and Georgia out there really working the portal wire hard, especially with SEC players. There'll be a different look at Georgia with Wes Johnson. You know, Scott Strickland was always – Scott Strickland – and maybe it's because he kind of told an obscurity at Georgia because Georgia was just kind of a mid-level program within the conference much of the last several years. But Scott Strickland was a great pitching coach too. Is he on the level of Wes Johnson? Perhaps not. But Scott Strickland was a guy that always had pitchers. So I don't know that you see a big jump with the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm sure in the non-conference they'll schedule light to get their legs on him a little bit. And people are like, hey, here comes Georgia and Wes Johnson. I don't think Georgia – is going to suddenly become a recruiting destination. And there may be some guys out there, obviously, that want to go pitch for Wes, especially out of the transfer portal after the success he had with Paul Skeens. But let me tell you, we're not going to see a guy like Paul Skeens for a long time. You know, people like and, you know, harken back to the days of Ben McDonald. Think about how long that's been, you know. Was he first pick in the draft in, uh, what, 90, 91? 89? I don't know. Nevertheless, that's how long it's been, you know, since you started drawing some comparisons to Skeens. But that said, you don't have to be Paul Skeens to have a big career. So I think, I think Wes will do a good job courting pitchers out there. I just don't think that uh, you're going to see Georgia rise in the ranks of the SEC without a bigger financial commitment from the university. And now, of course, uh, first baseman, outfielder Hollis Porter uh, is in. So that's seven guys that went in for state. And three of those seven have now announced their destination – and, again, Siebert may be headed to Delta State. And uh, so, to date. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And, you know, you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. No break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. 
It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Bulldogs have uh, four transfer ends. That's not counting the fact that we added Gavin Black from the junior college ranks as a right-handed pitcher. And then we all just asked, offered Steven, excuse me, Steven, can't even pronounce my own name, Steven Spalletti. So we've had two commitments from the high school and junior college ranks to go with these transfers. We're not done in the portal, but we did get a big get since the time that we have discussed uh, uh, Mississippi State Athletics together, and that's right-handed pitcher Carson uh, Ligon from Miami. Carson is a guy that was the regular Friday night guy at Miami, had some stiffness late last year, middle of the year. Kind of limited him a little bit. Uh, but he was a guy from Riverview High School there in Sarasota, Florida, that was their guy. He was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Threw a no-hitter in high school, uh, did a great job. And uh, a guy that's majoring in accounting, so we can accommodate that. But in 2022, as a true freshman, he made 15 starts, 16 appearances. His first one uh, came in relief. And the next thing you know, he's starting and uh, actually moved to the weekend and pitched an ACC play. And we know ACC is the second best baseball conference in America. So it's not like he's, you know, 
playing in a, uh, you know, oversized junior college. I mean, he's playing Power 5 baseball. And uh, was not their ace that year, but became a, a proven and dependable weekend guy. Became the Friday night guy in 2023. And uh, looking at the numbers here, and uh, again, people are like, oh, I look at the, r- the number, he's 9-8, and eight, Steve. Well, you know, that, that's the win-loss record is basically a team statistic. There are a few things that I've learned about him. Of course, I've got some connections with some major league scouts. The main thing is we've got to do is keep people off the fastball with him. Uh, he is a guy that, you know, mechanically has, ne- by his own admission, has never, ever, ever had anything to do analytically. Like, he's never had a chance to pitch in a pitching lab or anything like that. And so we've got an opportunity to kind of fine-tune some things with him. He's just kind of getting by on guts and talent right now. And, uh, you know, uh, J.D. Artigue at Miami, one of the best pitching coaches in the country. So you know he's got a good foundation to work with. But um, Carson with a K, by the way. Uh, and I told him, I said, the, uh, the irony of that is not lost on me. But uh, just 10 games in 2023, goes 3-2 and two with a 4.80 ERA. Uh, 10 total appearances, all 10 of them starts. 50.2 innings pitched, and even though he just pitched in uh, 10 games, he was among the team leaders in innings pitched. So he does have the ability to be a bit of a workhorse. But uh, 44 hits, it's just under a hit per inning. And then 20 walks to um, – yeah, let me look at – it's a crazy thing sometimes looking at these numbers. Um, 20 walks and then looking at the strikeout numbers here, 37. So not a lot of swing and miss. You'd like that. I mean, less than a strikeout per inning. And it's tough in Power 5 baseball to, to average more than that. But that's where I think Justin Parker comes in. You take a guy like him that's got Power 5 experience on the weekends and you fine-tune the craft just a little bit. But, uh, you know, looking at the game-by-game stuff, I mean, he's just, you know, again, things just changed for him when he had a little bit of tightness. So, you know, we'll kind of see how things progress there. But is he a Friday night guy for us? I don't know that I would go that far. I think he is a weekend guy for us. Is he a Saturday guy? Is he a Sunday guy? Uh, I think, if you know, based on what we have – Coming back, you feel pretty confident that he is going to be on the weekend. That's what he was recruited to do, and that's where we have the biggest needs. But, you know, what does that mean, Bradley Lofton? What does that mean for Durangelo? You know, right? And uh, we still need a bona fide Friday night guy. We still. And, uh, you know, maybe Ligon can be the guy, or Ligon. I I don't know exactly sure how to pronounce it, to be quite honest with you. But uh, we'll call him Carson. His mama named him Carson. We're going to call him Carson. But, uh you know, he's a, he's a guy that can be a dude. And he was a guy, obviously, that, you know, the age is a factor. He was a 19-year-old freshman and uh, 20 last year. So this will be his only year at Mississippi State. But uh, six and six is a freshman, three and two is the sophomore. But it's kind of working through all this. It's just one of those things you look at and you begin to ask yourself, you know, where does he fit? Uh, I'll take these Power Five weekend starters with a little scratch and dent to them, and trust the fact that I've got an elite pitching coach that can kind of get them where we need them to be, as if that makes sense. Uh, but, again, I like to get, but we need to get Luke Holman. Uh, Chase Burns is a guy that we have been on, and, and uh, I understand he was set to visit Auburn and Mississippi State, canceled those visits, and announced a commitment to Wake Forest. I don't know if that's completely over or not, but I'll tell you this, that uh, the final two, from what I understand, were Wake Forest and Georgia, that he wanted to go to, to pitch for either Corey Mascara and Wes Johnson. And when you've got guys like that that have one year to get it right before they go pro, they're going to opt for a guy that has a track record of developing big-time pitchers. And that's where I think Justin Parker is on the way to being 
But I think you know, if he can get a guy like Carson uh, to maximize his potential, I think next year then you kind of become that destination type program when it comes to pitching. But uh, Chase Burns, it, it, right now it seems like we were probably we in the mix, but it's clear that we were not among the top two or three. And I think a lot of that too is the uncertainty. And you had two back-to-back, you know, subpar years. You change the pitching coach. And are you willing to gamble your career on that, right? If you're one of those guys out there that uh, you got this one year to get it right, are you willing to gamble with a first-year head coach or a first-year pitching coach? Maybe not. But when you look at the fact that Wake Forest obviously was the number one team in the country uh, second half of the year, and Corey Mascara was the pitching coach there, then LSU was the first part of the year, and then the ultimate, ultimate NAFL champion – well, Wes Johnson was a big part behind that. And so you look at that. I mean, Ty Floyd, I guess, a, a guy that um, was a consistent performer for LSU, didn't always work deep into ballgames, ends up being a second-round draft pick. You know, Riley Cooper is a guy that, uh, if he ever really commits himself to physical fitness, could really be something. It's a guy, that, a bigger guy that uh, can change speeds a little bit. And, again, Wes Johnson kind of got the best out of him. So it kind of makes sense that Chase Burns would pick one of those schools, but uh, we would prefer it to have been ours. I think a lot of people thought it would be us and LSU, and it ends up being Wake Forest and Georgia's final two. Uh, So we'll kind of move forward with that. But kind of what's left for Mississippi State, you know, we're still in on Luke Holman, uh, former Alabama Friday night guy. That looks to be a state-LSU-Tennessee battle. I understand he will visit all three schools before making a decision. Uh, One of the things that Carson told me, and this is a guy I remember, you know, he's pitched – two years in the ACC, so he's done the home and away thing with just about every school in that conference, and he took some visits. Uh, Florida State and Mississippi State were his final two. This is a kid from Florida that picked Mississippi State over the home state school. And he said when he came here, met Justin Parker, they hit it off. But when he saw the pitching lab and the commitment to development of pitchers, that's kind of what won him over. He goes, you know, everywhere that I went on my visit, I thought, hey, this could be a good place. And South Carolina was one of them. He goes, every time I left the school, I said, you know what? I could see myself going there. And he goes, but after I left Mississippi State, I said, you know what? That's where I'm going. And so we're able to break that news for you yesterday and uh, happy to do so. But that's the big thing with us. we got to get guys on campus. You know, and, and everybody that I've talked to, like even Johnny Long at Pittsburgh, he was talking about how excited he was to play at Duty Noble Field. And I said, you know, what's, what's the kind of the consensus outside of the conference? He goes, everybody in college baseball knows about Duty Noble Field. And everybody would love the opportunity to play there in some respects, whether it be as a visiting player or whatever. Um, and what's interesting is uh, Long talked about, you know, DiGiacomo, the uh, LSU outfielder that ended up transferring. Uh, he, he said DiGiacomo told him the best place in, in the country was to play at Duty Noble Field because of the fans and the amenities and the environment. And so that's the big thing for us. It kind of goes back to the first segment of the show. There's a lot of people that have this negative opinion of Starkville. And, you know, we kind of excuse that. But the reality of it is, is that uh, among college baseball circles, people say, you know what, Mississippi State and Starkville is a destination type school. So we got to get those guys on campus and kind of show them, hey, we are more committed to you and to your development the enhancement of your skill and anybody else. Uh, so Holman's a guy, again, we're watching. Uh, Mason Molina from Texas Tech was a guy that we've been on a little bit. I was told the day that he went into the portal, he was headed to Arkansas. And then, like, the next day I talked to that same source and said, yeah, I think he's going to work through the process a little bit and take some trips. And then now I'm hearing, ah, it looks like it's going to be Arkansas. 
So sometimes, you know, the first thing you hear is correct. Maybe not the case of coaching searches, but the reality of it is is that when it comes to recruiting, sometimes these portal deals are already done before they actually go in the portal. Uh, and, of course, State was on Chase Burns. And there's a couple other guys out there that, uh, you know, we're chasing a little bit, doing our due diligence on. I think that's a big part of it, too. And um, that's, that's one of those things you start thinking about, too, is, like, if we can just get guys here, just get guys here and kind of show them what we're about and let them see it all up close and see all the behind-the-scenes piece, uh, that's interesting. That's interesting, too. But a couple other names just to kind of remember. John West from Boston College, that's a guy that, uh, you know, he's had some success, too, in the Power 5 level. That's a guy you look at. And then uh, left-handed pitcher Greg Farone from Louisville uh, recently went in the portal. And, uh, you know, we were – you know, he's a guy that we've got a relationship with. You know, so there will be some other arms. And, again, I think you're going to see two to three more arms, of course, with Aaron Nixon going undrafted. That kind of gives you some flexibility. You can be a little bit picky. You don't have to go get a closer. And you start thinking about Nate and Nixon. You start feeling good about that back end. And, and hopefully Gavin Black can come in here and be a piece for us. Uh, Cam Schulke is a guy that's going to be – we'll be expecting to be a quality middle relief guy for us. I'm eager to see him this fall. But you need to get some starting pitching. And, again, you pay, say, well, Steve, we got Lofton and we have Durangelo. We absolutely do. And that may end up being your rotation. Maybe it's Carson, uh, Lofton, and Durangelo. But you got to go out there and get some competition uh, for those guys because competition makes everybody better. But I, th- I think you've got to go get some other arms, whether they be starting pitchers or ultimately become relievers. But I think you feel good about Carson. I think you got to get one more. I think you have to get one more. Uh, weekend starter, and then probably a bullpen piece, whether it be a long relief thing. I mean, we, you know, Tyler Davis is a guy that uh, they call him TD, but he was a guy that was phenomenal at VCU and was very hit and miss here. But he did have some performances that you look back and say, wow, holy smokes, that was great. And then the next time you trot him out there and it's like he can't find the zone, you know, or he's not missing bats. So you don't want to repeat that, but you've got to go get a guy that maybe has that type of uh, experience in college. You know, a guy that maybe has been a part-time starter and a reliever. So, again, I think two two more arms. And then, of course, if you can get Braden Montgomery. And uh, I've had some conversations here as of late. The reports are kind of all over the place. You know, you speak to some people and say, oh, yeah, the word is he's going to Mississippi State. And other people say, well, he's working through the process. I think both of those things could prove ultimately to be true when it's all said and done. I'm cautiously optimistic about where State stands at Braden Montgomery, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, he's coming to State. I have seen a lot of people that have come out and made it seem like this is a done deal. It is not a done deal. It's not a done deal. I want to make sure you understand that. Uh, And Chase Burns and Montgomery have talked about playing together. Now Burns is headed to Wake Forest. You begin to wonder, hey, is that an option for him? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't match up with anything we've heard about Montgomery in, in recent weeks, but uh, it's recruiting. It's the NIL era. It's the transfer portal. And so things change from time to time. So, again, I'm cautiously optimistic about Braden, but I'm not going to sit here today and tell you, yes, I believe he's coming to Mississippi State. I think State's the team to beat, but, you know, when these agents get involved and NIL numbers get thrown around, things change. I'm not trying to prepare you for disappointment. I'm not trying to suggest that Mississippi State's not doing a good job. I'm just telling you this remains a very fluid situation. And so if somebody comes out and says, oh, he's definitely going to State, I think they're just kind of being a little bit optimistic there. 
Not to say he's not coming, but I'm just telling you he's working through this process. All right, speaking of working through process, guys, did you know about this new thing? Maybe you guys are familiar with this. Uh, I've traded some emails with our, our great friend, the lovely and talented Blair Chandler. Traded some emails with him yesterday. We had a conversation about this recently, and uh, I forgot, to be quite honest with you. Forgot about it, and uh, he pointed this out to me. There is this new law that now allows people of the age of 18 to purchase a home, provided they have a parent to co-sign. That is super cool. And so you start thinking about a condominium. So, and rather than throw your money away, let's say your kid's headed to state, well, why not buy a condo? Why not buy a house? And so instead of throwing four years or five years of rent away, you're investing in a property here in Stargill. And so when, when your youngster leaves with their college degree, either they already have a home they can pick up the payments on, or you can sell it and recoup your equity. That is a great deal. I mean, it really is. And so Blair can explain all the particulars behind every bit of that. I wanted to make sure that you were aware of that, because especially in college towns, that means a lot whether it be Oxford or Starkville or, or Hattiesburg or wherever, if you have the opportunity uh, to invest in the community and then recoup some of your investment when your time is up there, that just makes too much sense to me. So instead of renting, maybe look at buying. And maybe when they leave, you say, you know what, I'm just going to keep making these payments and uh, we'll just have a place in Starkville. We'll just have a place to go up there for our ball game weekend retreat. Or, again, you can just sell it to the next people to come along, <laughs> right? There's options for you. Reach out to Blair at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And uh, you know, big deal, too. He told me, hey, man, I closed a boneyard deal last month, and I'm closing one tomorrow, which is today. So, you know, we've made it worth Blair's while, right, to be a part of this. Maybe you've got a business and think, you know what, Steve? I've always considered advertising on the boneyard. With Portico out and th that place now completely sold, we have uh, an opportunity for you. So reach out to me on social media. I can give you the particulars there. But uh, if you want to talk to Blair, again, that's 601-500-2344. And visit him at closewithblair.com. C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. All right. I put out the bat signal for Slipknot fans, and you responded you did. Had uh, probably a dozen messages on Facebook and probably nearly that amount on Twitter and had a couple tweets about it too. Like, yes, yeah, Steve, we need a Slipknot less. We've been waiting for one. And I think some of you guys are just kind of waiting to see if I'm legit or not. You're like, yeah, Steve knows Eddie's metal, but does he know Slipknot? Does he truly know Corey Taylor? And you know what? I may not know him as well as you know him. I was kind of late to the party. I admit it. I admit it. But I love Slipknot. And some of these songs are on my regular travel list. And uh, I'll just ride down the highway, man, and grit my teeth and just hate. You know, I just put on Slipknot and uh, get me a, a caffeinated beverage and just roll along there and just sit there and just ready to explode, man. Slipknot is not for the faint of heart. I'm just going to tell you that right out of the gate. There's nine guys in this band. I've never seen them live, but I've got a friend of mine that goes every time they're in a reasonable driving distance. And he likens it to a modern-day Alice Cooper show. He said there's just so much going on, whether you know the catalog or not, you can't miss it. And so the next time they come through, I'm going to try to get tickets and go. Now, 
Des Moines, Iowa is the home of Slipknot, and uh, it's kind of like a super group from the Des Moines, Iowa area, which just seems to be a weird place for a heavy metal group to come together. I don't even know if you can call them metal, uh, but they're certainly in your face. But basically, Clown is the last original member of this band, but uh, they pulled a guy from here and this band or whatever. So again, it's kind of a super group, and then they began to make some racket, but things really took off when Corey Taylor uh, became the lead singer. And the theatrical stuff that goes, if you watch these videos, it's like something like out of a nightmare. I mean, you watch, and I don't mean like gore, macabre, but like one of those things that, like you, you watch stuff on, and on TV and you, and you have a dream and it's like a, there's this distortion in your mind. That's kind of how a Slipknot thing is. Everybody's got these masks on. It's crazy. It's crazy. But here are my top 10. And I guess before I get to that, let me give you a couple that didn't make the list because I, I know that I'm going to have some people reach out to me and say, Steve, you missed this one. And you know what? You're probably right. You're probably right because the, the Slipknot catalog is so expansive. We could probably do a top 20 and still not do it justice. Fair enough? Because I think right now when you think about the following Slipknot has, it kind of reminds me as an older guy of when Metallica kind of got going and you see the following they had today, I think Slipknot is on a similar trajectory. Will they be as meaningful to rock music as Metallica? I'm not suggesting that. But the fans that are fans of Slipknot are very, very passionate about it. It's not like, well, that's just a band that I like. These people are all in. I, I respect it. I do. I absolutely love it. Uh, but, the, but, but the three honorable mentions... Custer, Spit It Out, and Kill Pop. That's your honorable mentions. Those did not make the list. And some of you are going to say, Steve, how did Custer not make the list? It was close. It was close. But again, it's my list. All right, number 10 for me is uh, Sulfur. And that may be a little bit low for many of you. And I, what I like about it is it's kind of got this Black Sabbath vibe in the intro. Like when it first comes in, you can kind of hear that there's some influence from uh, Tommy Aami there in the guitar and then it kicks in and it's just a great rock and roll song from start to finish. Number nine, one that uh, is, is obnoxious. I'll just tell you, it is. It's very much in your face. There's not much out there like it. It's Vermilion. And there's actually two parts to this. There's a different mix in Vermilion part two. I'm going with the original Vermilion. And then you can kind of, maybe Roy will put part two on the, our list for us as well. It's different. It's very different. But Vermilion is another one of those songs, too, that got a ton of play on Octane. I think it was really instrumental and in really helping grow the fan base. Number eight, this is the closest thing to a bow what you're ever going to get from Slipknot. And it's the song Snuff. And uh, I dig it. I think you will, too. And it was really one of those songs that really kind of pulled me in because it showed me they had a little more diversity than I thought. It's true to the Slipknot sound. It's just a much different tempo. And it's a very, very heartfelt song in many respects. Number seven, this is a little more commercial. And a lot of people wouldn't have put this in their top ten. Because a lot of people didn't like this song. They said it was a little bit of a sellout. I love it. And maybe it's because I'm a sellout. I don't know. But it's the great track, Dead Memories. It's very melodic. It's a little more mainstream than a lot of the stuff they've done. And, of course, it was a hit. And again, I think it's one of those things that kind of pulled people in. I think there were a lot of people out there. It's like, I don't, there's this guy out there with this crazy mask on. It's like something from a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I don't know what's happening on stage. It's just too much racket for me. And then they hear Dead Memories. And you're like, hey, well, these guys have a little more substance than I thought. 
I dig it a lot. Number six, kind of going back a few years. Man, I, I tell you, this is one, one, probably one of the first five songs I heard when I got my SiriusXM subscription. It's Wait and Bleed. Oh, my gosh, it's such a great song. Wait and Bleed. And uh, you say, Steve, it's all this macabre stuff. Well, they're a different band. They're a little darker. They're not satanic or anything. And uh, Corey, of course, has got its in recovery, so they're a little more positive. But he gets out there and he plays a character. So Wade and Bleed, number six. All right, number five on our list, a song, it kind of got a little bit overplayed, to be honest with you. And if you love it, you'd think, what's well, never overplayed? Listen, I'm a Molly, Cry, Molly Crew guy to my core, but I wish that the radio stations played more than three songs. That's kind of how I felt about this one. But I do love it. I love the guitar. I love how aggressive it is right out of the gate. It's Duality at number five. Duality. Great track. Number four, I say this is more recent because, like, the scope of time when you get to be my age is much broader. And I'll say, you remember, like, last year, and it's, like, ten years ago? This one is fairly recent, but I wouldn't – it was released a few years ago. But it's one that was also a huge hit for them. It's The Devil and I. And uh, it's one of these songs, so you hear that and you think, oh, Steve, I don't know. Trust me. Trust me. It's a great track. Number three, again, going back a few years, it's Before I Forget, which is something I have to worry about more and more in my advanced age. But Before I, I Forget, a great track. Now, you're probably thinking my number two song would probably not be your number two song. And I'm perfectly okay with that because I think with a band like Slipknot, I think it's one of those things because of – the length of their time, there are songs that hit you at different points in your life that kind of make you a little bit biased in their direction. And uh, when this song came out, I nearly got this tattooed across my stomach. And uh, I still made, I'll put it past me. Don't, don't, even, don't even trip. I love this song. It's a percussive song. Clown came up with the idea. And it, to me, it is one of the best Slipknot songs of the last decade. I absolutely love this track. It's Nero Forte, which to its translation is Black Black. And, uh, you know, it talks about, uh, you know, in the chorus, you know, basically about you're the kind of person that, like, always trying to cause me problems. That's what you do best. That's what you do best. And that's kind of what the song is about. It is aggressive, but I tell you what, it's one of those songs when you put in the car and you just crank it. Like, you don't listen to this at normal volume. If people are talking, you got to make them be quiet. And the best way to do that is to turn that knob. But I, I don't let people talk when this song comes on. And if, it's, if, people, if we're talking, I'll just pause it. Because I, I want to hear this, the sonic sound of this, the majesty of this wonderful rock song at full volume without any distraction. I don't know how you feel, but I've got some songs like that. You want to get sideways with me? Start talking during Nero Forte. Because you know what we're going to do when you're done blabbing? We're going to rewind it and listen to the thing in its entirety. That's what we're going to do if you're riding with me. But number one, and you probably already know, it is the Slipknot song. This is the song I think that pulled so many people in from the very beginning. And people said, you know what? These guys are legit. And it's psychosocial. And uh, I remember years ago, there was this kid... Kind of a nerdy looking kid, a little bit heavy set guy. It was one of these videos that made the rounds on YouTube. Maybe one of you guys can send it to us again and we'll all have a good time together. I hope the kid's doing well. But he goes to the, this high school talent show, and maybe a middle school, who knows. But you see this guy and he looks like just a regular kid. You know, he's, again, he's a little bit, a little bit plump, 
and uh, you know, dressed like a you know, kind of a prep, whatever. And he's kind of got a little bit bushy hair, like he's a little bit uncapped. And he goes in and he plugs in his his uh, plug plugs in his radio and he starts singing along to Psychosocial. And I lost it, man. When I first time I saw that, I was like, man, there is hope for the new generation, man. That a kid like this would go out there to his middle school or his high school and just belt out Psychosocial. I love that kid. He's probably going to be president someday. I'll vote for him right now because he's better than any of the candidates that are, that are, in, that are in contention. Just going to say it right now. You know, I, I'm all about the rock in the White House. But psychosocial, number one on the Slipknot list. And, again, you hardcore Slipknot fans, I hope that you, number one, see that I am legit, but also, too, can appreciate the list today. There are some deeper cuts that maybe you would want on here, and that's okay. But I think, again, there's just such an incredible catalog here. I don't know how you could go wrong, to be honest with you. I think there, I think you could make a case for about 25 songs to be in the top 10. And again, so much of that kind of involves, you know, where the song found you in your whole, on your own life. Uh, so there you go, Slipknot, Top 10. I cannot believe we hadn't done this. It's like this the other day, I text Roy, have we done Stone Sour and Slipknot? He's like, no, neither. We're doing that. We're fixing it. And so we did. And uh, if you haven't listened to the Corey Taylor solo album, I encourage you to do so. Uh, it's very different than other stuff he's done. It's very, very obnoxious and arrogant, and that's one of the things I love about him. And the fact that he's in recovery, and I can tell you, he does a lot of things behind the scenes uh, for people in recovery. He is very much an advocate and uh, does a lot of speaking when he has time about recovery. And uh, recently there was a video that I saw where uh, – he did the SpongeBob SquarePants song and had the crowd sing along. You can find that out there if you're interested. But uh, Corey Taylor is legit. He's an incredible songwriter and performer. But uh, I have never met him, but I have some friends that have. And they share with me that it's kind of what you see is what you get. So when you see these interviews with him, it's not him being, you know, fake or, you know, disingenuous. He is a guy that uh, is very much committed to recovery and uh, has done some great things with his life in the years that uh, he has been sober. And so we want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate the great music of Slipknot. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. I'll be, be glad to consider it. You can send it to us on social media. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. If you're not following me on Twitter, what are you doing with your life? Instagram, I'm not on there a whole lot. A lot more you know, personal stuff on there as of late. But, um, but nevertheless, all your Mississippi State news uh, on my Twitter and Facebook, and of course at jeanspage.com. You can find Roy on Twitter, and Roy's not going to, like, crowd your feed with pictures of his food. Right? That's important to understand. He's not going to do that. So if you follow Roy, all you're going to get is, like, Mississippi State stuff, or you're going to get the Spotify list. And you can find Roy on Twitter and Spotify at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Be sure and give him a follow today. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. Man, they do a great job over there. You know, I believe in buying local. I am a small business person myself. I support small business. Campus Bookmart is a small business that gives you big city service. They do. They're big time. That's what they do. If you're looking for Mississippi State merch, look no further than Campus Bookmart. You can find them neatly positioned on the backside of campus, swinging there to your game day shopping, and then go to your tailgate or one of Mississippi State's historic venues. If you can't make it to town, or perhaps you live in a foreign land, you know, like Louisiana or Tennessee, you can go to campusbookmart.net and use promo code BSR. That's exclusive 
for Boneyard listeners. That stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Outfit your family because college football season is going to be here before you know it. There's nothing more exciting when you're a kid than getting that sports jersey of your favorite player or perhaps getting that new shirt. You know what I'm talking about. You know what it felt like when mom and dad walked in there and said, hey, I got you something special. Got you something to wear to game day. And you probably slept in it, right, because you were so excited to have it. Mom, let's put some smiles on some faces today. Let's go to Campus Bookmark. Go to campusbookmark.net and order something and get yourself something too. We want you to look nice, right? We do. We support that. We do. Campusbookmark.net, without a, without a doubt, the best place to get Mississippi State merch. All right. Now, uh, SEC Media Days is coming up next week. I'll be in Nashville, but I'm not going. Dave Murray is going to cover for us. I think Robbie's going. Dave Murray's going to go for us and cover all of the uh, glad handing that goes on at SEC Media Days. I don't know who all will get a chance to vote, who all is going to hang around to vote. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, I want to talk about some of the topics. One of the first things, Tennessee's probation came down today from the uh, NCAA Committee on Infractions. I don't know if you're familiar with this. They did not get a postseason bowl ban, which uh, probably shouldn't come as a big surprise because of the fact that uh, they discovered the violation. But I will be honest with you, I would have hammered them. They did get hammered. I would have given them one-year postseason bowl ban. I think back to the Ole Miss case, which was also especially egregious. They ended up getting two years. They self-imposed a year and got another. I think part of that's because they dug in their heels and said, come at me, bro. And uh, Tennessee was completely different. So everybody says, oh, you got to lawyer up and you know, fight this. And you forget that they have a duty to cooperate because of the fact that they're part of a voluntary institution. That's important. Uh, so <laughs> here's the deal. This Tennessee thing, Jeremy Pruitt gets a six-year show cause, and then in the event that he is hired, he is suspended for a year. It's nuts. Here's a couple things uh, from the decision. Over the course of three seasons, the Tennessee football program committed 18 level one violations, encompassing more than 200 individual infractions, most of which involved recruiting rules violations and direct payments to prospects, current student athletes, and their families according to a decision released by the D1 Committee on Infractions panel. An additional four level one unethical conduct violations occurred involving former university employees. Remember those Wendy's bags? I guess we should use Ward's bags. Could you get behind that, Ward's bags? I could. We should have a Ward's here in Starkville. Uh, The violations resulted in impermissible inducements and benefits totaling approximately $60,000. As a result, Tennessee failed to monitor its football program. Additionally, due to his personal involvement in violations, former football head coach violated head coach responsibility rules. All of it's true. Every bit of it's true. And the deal is, what makes this different is, again, Tennessee uncovered it. They went through their own due diligence. They conducted an internal investigation. And they said, you know, we got a problem here. And then they said, call the NCAA and says, dudes, uh, we got to plead guilty to this. They didn't fight it. They just kind of dealt with the consequences and fired everybody that was uh, involved here. And again, you know, direct payments involved, including some from Jeremy Pruitt and his wife, Casey. That's interesting. 
That, that's just one of those things, too, you just never see. They did not get the dreaded lack of institutional control. But here are the penalties. And, again, this was a negotiated resolution similar to what Mississippi State went through with Tudorgate. Again, a negotiated resolution. So here we go. Uh, let's see here. Five years probation for Tennessee football, a reduction in football scholarships by a total of 28. And that's got to be taken over the term probation. Part of the deal. They already self-imposed some, which was 16. So they have a dozen more scholarships that they have to reduce uh, in the coming years. A reduction in football official visits by 36 during the term of probation. That is somewhat significant because young people now can take an unlimited amount of visits. They shall pro- prohibit official visits in connection with a total of 10 regular season home games, four of which must be against SEC opponents. Because, like you know, we took. Uh, our prohibition on visitors against FCS competition because kids weren't coming here anyway, which shows that we have a little bit of intelligence. They got to do it against four SEC teams. So that, that could be big, right? Uh, let's see here. Uh, we talked about unofficial visits are also reduced. Uh, a total 28 week ban on recruiting communications during term probation, including at least three weeks per year. That's a big deal in some respects because uh, they have to take one of those weeks in December and January. That's right there in the heart of recruiting. So right in the middle of all this, in the end, when you're chasing prospects and you're trying to stay on top of these guys and say, hey, we love you, why don't you come to our school, there's a week prior to the December signing period and a week prior to the February signing period where they will not be able to communicate with with recruits. I think that's somewhat significant. Uh, A reduction of 120 evaluation days. That's the days that we go out as uh, college coaches and uh, have a chance to see people think during spring evaluation and uh, fall football games. So all of a sudden, Alabama's coming to my game, but you're not. And then Alabama's contacting me every day and you can't. That could be an impediment to recruiting, for sure. Uh, A bunch of show causes were handed down, but one of the most significant things here, and this is, I think, what we're going to see a lot more from the NCAA, an $8 million fine, $8 million. And they said that basically encompasses what they estimate would have been the payout for bowl games for Tennessee for 23 and 24. $8 bucks. That is uh, believed to be the biggest fine ever levied in the history of the NCAA. Now, what that does, I think, is uh, it tries to make schools realize, hey, it's not worth it, right? Because they're not trying to punish players. They're trying to punish institutions. And so if you ban the university from going to a bowl game, the players can still go and enjoy the experience. However, because of this $8 million fine, the school itself and the football program do not profit from their ill-gotten gains. And so is that a step in the right direction? I think perhaps it could be. Because you're also punishing fans, right? It's one thing to punish donors that do stupid things. It's one thing to punish boosters that skirt the law. It's another thing to punish an entire fan base. And so those are the things that I look at and begin to think, okay, maybe this is the way to go. Now, the flip side of that is some would say, well, look at what happened at LSU basketball, which was a joke. It was. I don't think Will Wade got near enough. And if you want to punish you know, administrators and coaches, that was a, a prime example to send a message. They elected not to do it. So some scholarship reductions, some visit reductions, some recruiting restrictions, and a huge fine. 
I think this is what we're seeing from enforcement these days. I think that's kind of the, you know, what we should expect kind of going forward. And so you start thinking, okay, if we're willing to go out here and do these things, is it worth it? Some would argue that it is. If you're not going to get the postseason ban, maybe you could make that case. I'm not ever one to advocate rule breaking, ever. I don't believe in cutting corners. I think you go out there and you outwork the next guy and, and then you get what you get. But I think what the NCAA has done with the light sanctions on LSU and many of the basketball programs affiliated with the Nike scandal, and now what they've done to Tennessee, may send a bit of a mixed message. And so I'm eager to see kind of how this unfolds moving forward. That will be, I think, a big topic at SEC Media Days. I know Josh Heupel had nothing to do with that. They put a quality product on the field last year, uh, had a great season. And so, you know, about a year ago, I think we all got to thinking, you know, this, as bad as it sounds, the sanctions may not rise to the level that many people expect. Did they get hammered? Yes, they did. Did they avoid the bowl ban? And I think that's one of those things I look at and say, yeah, you allow the kids to play, but you hurt the school. But I don't think it hurts them on the recruiting trail in that respect. Yes, there are some restrictions that limit some of your actions. But at the same time, too, you still get the benefit to celebrate a big season. I, I, I would have liked to have seen a one-year bowl ban. That's just me. And, uh, again, I think, again, a lot of this, you go back and look at the fact that Tennessee uncovered the violation and Tennessee went to the NCAA and said, hey, we got, we got a problem. I think you have to give them some credit for that. Because the last thing you want is administrators and staffers out here, number one, skirting the rules and then working to cover that up. And so I think that's why they avoided the lack of institutional control and they uh, mitigated the potential for a bowl ban. So it is what it is. It's done. But I think that's one of those things that's worthy of conversation, especially now that you have NIL. Why would you ever need to use improper inducements and we could argue that um, the way that some of these collectives are being run it still constitutes an impermissible benefit it's still pay for play at the end of the day which is what they said they were trying to avoid and until the ncaa makes an example of somebody that's going to continue that's one of the things that i think that they'll talk about extensively is uh what's going to happen with nil and again i told you we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this but Greg Sankey is kind of on the forefront when it comes to leadership of trying to kind of get our arms around this process and provide a level playing field. Now, the haves are always going to have and have-nots are always going to have not. So in many respects, that hadn't changed anything. You know, it's not like you've got, you know, BYU all of a sudden putting together this great war chest and then they're buying recruits out from under Alabama, LSU, and USC and programs of that stature. I think if that begins to happen, you're going to see a lot of people get behind NIL uh, legislation. Right, right now, people are like, hey, well, we've always bought players. Now we can just do it legally. I think there are a lot of people out there that were more than willing uh, to get out there and write a check or you know, drop off a bag of cash to have somebody get this stuff handled. Now you provided a vehicle for them to legally do it. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe. It was already happening. Now you just got a way to do it and avoid, uh, you know, prosecution. But I think at the end of the day, when you look at what amateurism is at its heart, that's probably the wrong course of action. 
But let's not kid ourselves. These young people are a brand. Many of these star athletes, of course, there are a lot of people making a lot of money based on their name, image, and likeness. Do they deserve to profit from that? Yes, they do. I, I just have a problem with like the Jade and Rashada deal where this high school kid is uh, enticed to sign with a school because he's promised millions of dollars. That's not what we want. I think one could make an argument too. And again, you know, we talk about the Vandy need-based aid deal, right? And basically LSU has taken that same approach when it's come to NIL. And what do they have to show for it? A women's basketball NAFL championship and now a baseball NAFL championship on two teams they were largely built through the transfer portal with NIL incentives attached to it. Now, LSU was going to be a really good baseball team anyway. But it, what do they look like this year without Paul Skeens? What do they look like without Tommy White and Thatcher Hurd? Well, they're probably a regional team that probably doesn't make it to Omaha. And so I think the thing you got to ask yourself, is this what we want? Now, I'm not being critical of LSU. The rules are in place. They just did a better job of utilizing the, the format that was available. But I think Greg Sankey has to kind of ask himself, how much does this really matter? Is this what we want in college athletics? And if so, then I think he needs to help provide legislation to make the SEC more competitive in the NIL space. Within the framework of the rules, then let's all work together. Let's just don't let it be one or two schools. Let's work together as a group because we all benefit. That's not to say that we need the SEC to get involved in the NIL business, but I think you could do some things to be creative to help share the wealth a little bit. I think that's part of it. What if the SEC came out and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to allow part of the TV money to help fund NIL. And NCAA, if you want to stop us, come on at us. Because we're the conference. And we're going to bring change. Because what we have now, again, where funds are, are being you know, produced by fans, they're funding the NIL initiative. That's not sustainable. Now, there are a lot of people out there that have a business, and they'll just write a check, and they can you know, write this off. Of course, it's no longer tax deductible. It never was. The IRS has now clarified that. But I, I think that you're going to hear a lot of discussion from Greg Sankey about that. Now, moving on to, uh, let's talk about the all-SEC list. Does Will Rogers make an all-SEC list with the media or the coaches? I, I suspect he does because there's so many in the SEC media that are going to base all this off statistics. And there will be some people out there that will say, hey, well, Will Rogers was a system quarterback, and now the system has changed, so he's not going to be as prolific, even though he is the most prolific passer returning in the Southeastern Conference. There will be some people out there that say, you know, nah, I'm not giving to Will. Even though there's, you know, handful of schools that are going to have brand new quarterbacks and there's some other schools out there that uh, are going to kind of figure it out in fall camp. I mean, you know who your incumbent starter is at Mississippi State. So there's a name recognition piece to go along with that. But I think there will be some people in the media that will be reluctant to vote for him because they're going to expect a dip in production because we're going to be more balanced offensively. But I still think Will Rogers ends up being probably your second team quarterback. I don't know who I would say would be number one. Maybe K.J. Jefferson. Maybe. Maybe you could make that case for him. You know, basically, whoever is at Alabama, it doesn't matter if they've done anything or not, they're going to get a bunch of votes. I mean, just because. There's so many Alabama people attend media days, many of them asking for Nick Saban's autograph and a picture for the Instagram account. But um, 
there's a lot of that. And Joe Milton at Tennessee is a guy that uh, may get some votes as well. But I think I do think Will gets enough to at least be the second-team quarterback. Because I think a lot of people just look at numbers of returning players and say, you know what, hey, that's guarding numbers. We'll go with Will. But I won't be surprised if he is relegated to second team. Now, Bookie Watson and Jad Johnson both were among the top returning tacklers in the Southeastern Conference last year when we went to media days. And neither of them got many votes. Now, they returned this year as the top two tacklers in the entire Southeastern Conference. So, again, for the stat counters, that should be an easy pick. But who's going to say, hey, I can't put two Mississippi State linebackers on my list. I think Buki makes first team and Jet probably makes second team. And maybe that's fair. But both of them deserve to be on the all-SEC preseason list for whatever that means. But if we're going to put it together, let's do some research here and let's vote accordingly. So I think both of those guys make it. Outside of that, I think it's a long shot for anybody else. I think Jaden Crumbity probably is talented enough to make the list, but because he had an abbreviated season due to injury, there are a lot of people that don't follow the rest of the league that he won't even be on their radar. Is he good enough to be an all-SEC second-teamer or maybe even a first-teamer? Possibly. But I think there will be a lot of people that will say, you know what, I don't even know who this guy is. And, yes, he's in the mock drafts, and a lot of people expect him to be a mid-round pick. But, you know, this guy was a five-star at a high school, so he's got to be all SEC. We remind you, too, Jaden Crumley was four-star, but nobody will do that kind of research. Uh, the, the schedule format is another thing that I'm sure they'll waste a lot of time talking about. You know, there were so many people over the course of the last several months that were just, you know, referencing sources that essentially did not exist. You know, you know, some guy texted him or whatever. Oh, we're going to go to nine games. And there was all this discussion about that. Now, talking to people within the conference, they were like, hey, this doesn't benefit the SEC. A lot of people in national college football media is like, oh, the SEC should do this. But there are other people who are like, you know what, what do we gain from doing this? it makes it more difficult for us to get to the playoffs. You know, for years and years and years, we shamed other conferences because they didn't have a conference title game. Well, then everybody else kind of got on board. And eventually the SEC may do it as well. And the issue is we're doing the Power Five mandate. So it's not like we're playing, you know, Per River Community College and then, you know, throw in Wesley College on top of it. And so the benefit comes, I guess, really – you get these uh, rare matchups that I think actually give the conference more exposure. You know, like us playing Arizona and us playing Arizona State. Those are matchups that you never see. If we played the same 13 teams on a rotation every single year, does that help expand the SEC footprint? I suggest to you it doesn't. And in many cases, you know, playing Arizona or Arizona State – it's probably more difficult than playing Vanderbilt or Missouri. And so it's not the, you know, the conference issue that bothers me. It's not the level of competition. What bothers me is the fact that we already have the Power Five mandate in place when other conferences don't. So our strength of schedule actually is pretty good. But if we make that a conference game, then that's eight more losses that will be divided among the SEC teams. And if you have a fringe playoff bubble team, 
Aren't you better off having everybody play that extra non-conference game and give you a chance to pick up two wins instead of splitting it? That makes better sense to me. The math works in favor of the SEC to just keep the Power Five mandate in place in an eight-game schedule. Now, that's not going to stop anybody from asking because they won't do the research and look at it through that lens. So they'll just say, well, everybody else is playing non-conference games. You guys should too. And that would be exactly my response from Greg Sankey. Well, how many of them are mandating that their schools play another Power Five opponent on an annual basis? Because that's the game that disappears. It's not the game against Southeastern Louisiana that goes away. It's the game against Arizona. And so you drop Arizona and you pick up Vanderbilt. Do you think more people are going to come watch us play Arizona or Vanderbilt? I would submit to you they're coming to watch us play Arizona because of the novelty of it. To me, it makes better sense. There is no good case to go to a nine-game schedule. And I was glad the measure was voted down. I think they actually tabled it. I don't know if it actually came to a vote. But there was a lot of discussion. They did not have the votes to go to a nine-game schedule. And, again, the argument from all the the nine-game schedule proponents is, well, I just get tired of seeing Alabama play Sanford. Well, Alabama's still going to play Sanford with a nine-game schedule. They're just not going to play Notre Dame. They're not going to play USC. They're not going to play Miami, Texas A&M. Not going to play Oklahoma State. They're still going to play Tulsa. They're not going to play Oklahoma State. And so you don't really gain anything from a prestige standpoint or a strength of schedule standpoint. All you gain is an impediment to get to the play the expanded playoff, and you gain eight more losses as a league. Again, there is no good argument for it, and I, I, I will not be convinced otherwise. So where should State be picked? That, that's a real question, too. Now, the, I'm sure it's going to be sixth or seventh. There'll be some people that will pick Auburn seventh. Uh, I'm sure the Ole Miss media will all pick Auburn second behind Ole Miss, you know, out of their, their love and allegiance uh, to their former leader, who many of them still claim some allegiance to, and Hugh Freeze. Uh, I think Auburn's going to be better than people anticipate, but I do think Auburn is probably seventh. Now, if I was voting, and I'm not because I don't participate in, in this tomfoolery, I'd have Arkansas sixth. And I think the winner of the Arkansas-Auburn game will be sixth. I think that's fair. I think Auburn is going to surprise some people because of the fact that, you know, what? no matter what you think about Hugh Freeze, do they have the horses to really compete with the upper echelon teams in this league? They do not. They're a little bit talent deficient. They tried to address that some in the portal. And I think by the time you get to the middle of the year, I think Auburn's going to be a much more difficult out. But I think the loser of the Auburn-Arkansas game is last in the league. And I think Sam Pippen, as I shared recently, I think Sam Pippen is a guy that uh, might wind up on the hot seat this year. Fair or unfair, you know, Arkansas people are not very patient. And uh, there's some people in the Arkansas media that think they should be Alabama, you know, because of Walmart and Tyson Foods. Uh, the reality of it is Arkansas doesn't have a great natural recruiting footprint. The state of Arkansas doesn't produce a lot of Power 5 players. For whatever reason, they don't. And in the years that they do have a ton of those guys, uh, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, they all give a lot of uh, competition to Arkansas. It's not always a default like it is at OSU. You know, there are a lot of people uh, that grow up Razorback fans that are willing to leave the state because Arkansas has kind of been middle of the road in the SEC. And I think Sam Pittman is a guy – that needs to produce this year, and I think it's going to be tough. Two brand-new coordinators. I love the running game. 
right? And and we had this discussion on Gene's page yesterday, like Dan Enos is back at Arkansas. And people are like, Dan Enos. Well, I'll be honest with you. I like Dan Enos. Uh, I like what he did when he was at Arkansas with Belima. Now, they don't have a Hunter Henry this year, but they do employ a lot of three tight end sets. And that third tight end is kind of a – you know, it's kind of a jumbo X or just kind of a beefier receiver, a guy that didn't have the, the foot speed to play receiver. So they bunch those guys out there, which gives them more mass in a running game that's going to feature one of the best running backs in the conference in Rocket and the top rushing quarterback in the conference in K.J. Jefferson. I think they're going to be pretty good offensively. The question is going to be defense. And if K.J. Jefferson gets hurt, the season's over. It just is. But I think they're, you know, again, they struggled to get to bowl eligible last year, and a lot of that had to do with KJ being hurt. I think that's the case this year, too. But I also could see a situation, because there is so much parity in the league, where everybody in the West is bowl eligible. You win your non-conference games, pick up a couple dubs out there, next thing you know, you got holiday plans. Then it becomes, hey, what's next, right? Are you buying the A&M hype? I'm not. People forget how bad A&M was last year. And a lot of people blame, well, it's just Jimbo's offensive play call and he's become so antiquated. So we go out and get Bobby Petrino, who has done a good job, but how much autonomy is he going to have? What's going to happen when they struggle a little bit? Let's say they lose, you know, a game to Alabama. Does Fisher start taking over the headset? And so now that's what we're calling Bobby. That's what we're doing on the boss. I mean, it's Jimbo's job on a lot. Because you and I both know if Jimbo and them turn in another bad year, he's done. I think they're going to be an average team. And I think they're fifth. I know some other people are like, oh, they're going to be top 25. I don't see it. Now, could they win some games they're not expected to? Certainly. Then you get in there with a the state and Ole Miss thing. Uh, I, think, I think Ole Miss offensively should be good. they got Judkins. Uh, Jackson Dart, of course, is a guy that uh, proved to be a better athlete than I think many of us expected. Uh, you lose your wide receivers, you know, and you're like, well, we went in the portal. That's true, too, but – you know, you lose a couple of guys that uh, have some SEC experience under their belt. And a guy like Mingo, who has been hurt much of his career, finally gets healthy and uh, has a career year last year. Now a second-round selection by the Carolina Panthers. Uh, but, again, defensively, what's Ole Miss going to look like defensively? Uh, that was the thing last year, too, when you saw what Zach Arnett did to that Ole Miss offense. If uh, we just play decent on offense, that game's a blowout. And you know that I'm right, right? You know, Will Rogers did not have a great game. He had a couple of big moments, but he didn't have a great game. You know, the fumble at the one, if we score there, and, I, and it's, it's crazy, right before it happened, I turned to my son and I said, if Will Rogers pulls it here, he'll walk in the end zone. And he pulled it, and, we, and give Ole Miss credit, they blew it up, and Will fumbled the football. But that, that's probably a three-score game if we just get a better game out of quarterback. That's just kind of for what it is. And, uh, again, I think Ole Miss is missing some pieces. Judkins, I think, will be a stud. But I think they're going to be rather one-dimensional. So, I'm going to pick State third and Ole Miss fourth. And, I, and you could make a case whoever wins between A&M and Ole Miss is probably the fourth best team. I think State's third. Uh, behind LSU and then behind Alabama. Call me a homer if you want to. I think State's in for a good year this year. And I think that South Carolina game will shape the season. Uh, again, I look at – you know, around this league, and you begin to think about it. Auburn, brand-new staff. Arkansas, same head coach, brand-new coordinators. And a defense last year that really struggled. Look at A&M, a, team, a coach that's on the hot seat. 
and everybody knows it. Okay, so should State beat those three teams? I would submit to you they should. And we got to go over and play at the Plains, you know, and that's never easy, even in the best of times. I mean, even we went over there in 15 and won. It wasn't a – wasn't the game that I think many people expected. I mean, they had a true freshman quarterback play, and we won that game 19-10. to 10. I mean, it was, Gabe Miles had the big touchdown uh, running up the hash there to kind of get us going, but it took us a while to get going, and that was Dak Prescott's senior year. It's tough to go win at Auburn, even though we've had some success there. But you look at those three, and you say, you know what, we should win those three. And you get Ole Miss in Starkville this year. You should win that game. And then outside of that, you look at the uh, you know, non-conference. That's what's going to kind of you – know, you should win the, the four non-conference games. And then you've got, you know, road trips to uh, South Carolina. That's a winnable game, but it's certainly not a gimme by any stretch of imagination. And so you start stacking these wins up and you begin to think, okay, on paper, Mississippi State should have a better year than those four schools in the West. And you could make a case, too, that a lot of people would say, well, you know, Ole Miss's schedule might be a little bit easier. Maybe. But eight home games for state, we got to take full advantage of that. You have to. You got to be no worse than six and two at home. You have to. And then maybe you pick up uh, you know a couple road wins out there. I mean, you got to go go to College Station where we've had some success. And by the time we get there, who knows what kind of shape that team's going to be in? You got to go to Auburn. You got to go to South Carolina. You know. Uh, so it's interesting. You know, it's an interesting dynamic. But that's not how it'll vote. Nobody outside of the Mississippi State media is going to pick State third. They're not because people are going to buy into the hype. Well, A&M with Petrino, okay, they've got it all figured out. They've got talent. That A&M defense at times last year was really, really good. And offensively, they really, really weren't. And some of that had to do with Haynes King getting hurt. And Haynes, you know, never really lived up to his potential. Uh, But I think that this is going to be an interesting year. At the end of the day, the preseason rank means nothing. If anything, it's just kind of a motivating factor. And I think, you know, many years when you know, they don't pick Alabama or Georgia, it's always a surprise, right, because people pick the chalk. And there are a lot of people out there to get these lists out there, and there are people that don't take the voting process seriously. They just kind of go with what they've read. I mean, and not to mention, you know, last year we had somebody picking Vanderbilt to win the SEC. I mean, again, if you've ever needed a better example of how this process is viewed by many people in the SEC media – I don't know what it is because that's it right there. The fact that somebody would pick Vanderbilt to win the SEC last year shows that people don't take this thing seriously. Now, the fans all hang on it, but you go ahead and prepare yourself. We're going to be picked uh, sixth or seventh. Probably is, probably the most, best we could hope for is fifth. Now, I do think one of the things that helps is 247 Sports' Josh Pate, who is a guy that is a respected name uh, in the streaming piece. Josh has been out there telling everybody, I think Mississippi State's getting slapped on. So I think we'll get some votes because of that. Not that we're going to be picked first, nor should we be. But I think a lot of people are going to say, you know what, Josh is probably right. This is a team that's going to return a lot of experience. And you say, well, they're changing the offense. Yeah, they're changing the offense to a more balanced scheme. So we're not going to be quite as gimmicky. And I don't mean that in any disrespectful way to Mike Leach or the air raid. But we're going to be more balanced, and we've got a veteran offensive line. Uh, you got Woody Marks, who, again, I think is a guy that is – largely unheralded in this conference, who I think by the end of the year will be an absolute star. I mean, if Kenshawn Judkins played in the air raid, you, you wouldn't know his name as much either. You know, but Ole Miss was a very run-heavy team last year, as they should have been. When you've got a guy like that, you've got a veteran offensive line, you've got a quarterback that's athletic enough to make plays, it makes sense. 
If Woody Marks played in that offense, we'd be talking about him, I suspect, in the same light. And I think that is one of those things that people don't look at. How this offensive scheme changes the dynamic of the Bulldog roster. Because you've had some players that have been underutilized. I mean, we've all argued for two years that Tulu Griffin was underutilized. He won't be in this scheme. We'll find a way to get creative to get into football. Now, now, but will the average SEC voter know that? They won't. So whatever happens, because we'll, we'll be voted lower than we should be, remember it doesn't matter. I mean, these preseason list, it's just something to talk about. And it's something we can reference later in the year and say, you know what, they got it wrong. You know, they missed this and missed that. I mean, listen, is it a safe bet that Alabama and Georgia are going to be picked to win the West and the East? It absolutely is. And you say, oh, they got that right. Was it a safe bet to say, that, hey, Vanderbilt or Missouri is going to be last in the East? Well, yeah, it's a safe bet. Oh, they got that right. You can say, well, they missed the middle of the pack, and that's what you'd expect. Well, yeah, but at the end of the day, none of this really matters. We're going to talk about it. We're going to address it. And, of course, when we come back uh, next week after the media days are over and the voting is known, it'll be next Friday, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about where we're picked. And it'll be sixth probably, fifth or sixth. I think Auburn will be seventh. And I think that's probably a little bit undervaluing them because they're, they're going to upset – they're going to ruin somebody's season. There's going to be somebody out there that's maybe going to a New Year's Six or, uh, you know, one of the, the top six bowl games in the SEC that will take Auburn for granted and Auburn will get them. You know, but give Freeze some credit. Uh, despite his personal failings, he always managed to find a way to, to win a game perhaps they shouldn't. They also found a way to lose one they shouldn't too. People forget uh, that they beat Alabama and lost to Memphis in the same year. Nobody ever talks about that, though. Oh, they beat Alabama. They lost to Memphis. Remember that? You know, there's always some ebb and flow with it. People remember one game. They don't look at the totality of a season. They just remember the highlights. And I think it's important to understand, yeah, i got to have the counterbalance there, too. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that SEC media days will come, and everybody will get there, and they'll talk. And the next thing you know, they'll vote, and everybody will go home. And nobody's going to break any news unless it's Greg Sankey. The coaches are going to go up there. They've been prepared by their media relations people and say, hey, they're going to ask you about this. This is our message. They're going to ask you about this. This is what we talk about. They're going to be prepped for all that stuff. And they're going to have some planted questions. The whole thing, in many respects, is a dog and pony show. There will be some national media people there that will try to shake things up. And they'll ask some questions, perhaps, that uh, irritate people. But, I, you know, again, I think a lot of this with Greg Sankey, I, you know, I, I think Greg can walk out of there without any prep at all and be able to handle it. You know, he recently signed a, a contract extension now that takes him uh, through 2025, and, and that's good. I think Greg Sankey is a great leader. I think he is a guy, too, that's not just good for the SEC, but good for all the college sports. Um, and I'm happy that we have him. But if there's going to be any news broken, it's going to be on day one when Sankey gets up and kind of gives the State of the Union. And uh, he's going to challenge some people. My hope is that uh, he talks again about, you know, these uh, making more of the college sports, head counter sports, and again kind of getting our arms around this NIL thing. This, it's madness. It absolutely is madness right now. And uh, kind of changing the gears a little bit, but also on the NIL piece a little bit, is college baseball. I mean, the fact that we're now here we are, you know, we, the college game by and large has never really been – what we see in football and basketball. And football and basketball, of course, are full scholarship sports. So baseball is, was essentially a pay-to-play type deal. Like you get a partial scholarship and your parents had to pay. 
And there were people out there that maybe couldn't afford, hey, you offer them 33%, they, they're going to need 50. You can't afford to give it to them. They can't afford to come here. It wasn't always about, hey, this school was better for me. It boiled down to money. There have been t- times in the past that we were able to get a player out of the state of Alabama because, number one, it's cheaper to go to school here than it is Alabama or Auburn, but we were able to offer a bigger scholarship package. And so it was less out-of-pocket money for the parents. So we get them because of money, not because we gave them an impermissible benefit, but because it was a matter of economics. And so by and large, that's kind of what we dealt with. But now, like with this baseball transfer portal stuff, you've got guys out there that are getting these NIL deals as part of their recruiting package. And I have been told by people in the know that there are some head coaches within our conference when they sit down, it's not about development or here's our plan for you. They say, hey, listen, we want you to be here. What is it going to take for us to get you here? What, what are you being offered? Is that what we want in college sports? You know, maybe you do. I don't know that I do. But now this NIL thing has gotten into baseball. It's gotten into women's basketball, which is also a uh, full scholarship sport. So you've got a lot of athletes that are already going to graduate debt-free from college, and now we're just kind of piling on top of that. And so I think one of the things you can do to combat some of this in college baseball is let's find a way to fully fund baseball, just like we did with the volunteer assistant that's now a paid position. For the teams that want to fully fund baseball, they should be allowed to do it. You know, we don't have a hockey team. We've got a little rec team. You know, you know what I'm saying? We've got an intramural team. We don't have a varsity team. So why should I get a vote as a university on what the scholarship situation is at South Dakota State for ice hockey? Do I care if they fully fund hockey? No. So why should they get a vote because we play baseball and they don't really care about it? I mean, the Fighting Sioux has been a national power in ice hockey. Did you know that? And so I think there's some things that we have to change, and I hope that Greg Sankey can, can be a lightning rod for change, that if South Dakota State wants to fully fund ice hockey, they should be allowed to do that. You know, we're not going to play hockey, so it's not going to impact us. You know, Monmouth, do they care about college baseball? No, but they get a vote just like we do. Why should they get a vote? If they want to fully fund lacrosse, that's their business. We're not going to. And that's where I think the rub has come in, is everybody's like, well, there's not enough support nationally to support this. I think what you do is give everybody in, everybody in NCAA. So you know what? Hey, you can pick one partial scholarship sport, and maybe that's your niche sport. Maybe that's what you want to do, and you can fully fund that. You can I mean, we don't have a, a, a level playing field now in college athletics because a lot of these student athletes are going to the highest bidder and now it's all legal. So let's let the fighting Sioux fully fund ice hockey and you let Mississippi State fully fund baseball. Because if we're going to make the financial commitment as a fan base and as a university, I think we should be rewarded. And again, I don't think we should get a say in what happens with gymnastics or wood swimming, or diving, because we don't fill those teams. But right now, we get a vote. So why not make everybody happy? Like LSU has a tremendous gymnastics program. And if you've ever seen that on television, 
maybe your, your daughters are involved in gymnastics and they watch collegiate gymnastics. It's an incredible atmosphere. So if we want to really do what's best for college athletics as a whole and not just for what we love, let's do a carte blanche policy. Everybody. So if LSU says, you know what, we make a ton of money on gymnastics. We uh, want to commit more of our scholarship dollars to gymnastics. They should be able to do that. Alabama has a gymnastics team. Uh, you know, Florida, Oklahoma have been national powers in softball. That's also a partial scholarship sport. If they decide, you know what, hey, we want to be a softball school, then let's allow them to do that. And then the argument would be is like, well, it's not fair because they, they're a full scholarship school and we're not. But that's your decision. Let's empower you to make your own decision about your athletics department. You can't make every sport fully funded. I get that. Even though people talk about this all the time. It's, and people always argue about it. It's really not a lot of money. But, Steve, it is. It's really not. You know, those, those student athletes are already here. They're going to classes that are already taking place. Those papers are still getting graded. Those professors are still getting paid. It's just now all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're going to get less money from their families. So, you know, at the end of the day, there's not a ton of expense. That's what you lose is the differential between the student loans, the Pell Grants, and the out-of-pocket expense from the parents. That's what you're losing financially. And when you begin to put that number together, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the money that, that, that many schools are making on their student athletes. And I understand that, student, uh, that college athletics is not really a for-profit business, but you look at the NCAA tournament, that certainly makes a ton of money. That TV package is tremendous. And so I've had this discussion with you all before, and I'm very, 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 very passionate about this. As, as a guy that had a kid that played college baseball, I can tell you, that uh, there is not equity in college athletic scholarships, and there should be. There should be. And, again, you can't fully fund everything, but if you let everybody pick a sport, you pick one sport outside of, hey, you're mandated to do this as part of the conference. You've got to have X number of scholarships, and you can comply with Title IX, however you do it. But we're going to give you an opportunity here to fully fund another sport. To me, that makes perfect sense. To other people that won't, they'll poke holes in it. They'll find a reason not to do it. But we should have the ability to do that. And you know what? If you want to package it together and say, you know what? South Dakota State, we're going to fully fund women's hockey and men's hockey. And Mississippi State, if you want to fully fund baseball and softball, you can do that. I think you can get that done and still have Title IX compliance. That's just me. Uh, I don't know why more people aren't championing that cause. And a part of it is because those are niche sports that nobody really cares about. Because why do we care? You know what happens with, uh, you know, with curling, right? You know, do we do we are we going to get out? You know, all of a sudden, oh, okay, well, we're going to fully fund that, so let's go put a curling team on the field. We're not going to do that, even though I can tell you we got some, you know, small town kids from Mantachi or someplace like that that could probably, probably get the job done. But you understand my point. And so again, I think it'll be another one of those media days where not a lot happens, and uh, they'll pick us lower than they should. And many of our players won't get respected, as they should. Um, and that's part of the deal. Hopefully it will be a motivating factor. I believe in this team. I believe in Zach Arnett and this coaching staff. I think we're going to have a great football year. And I hope you do, too. Yeah, done so. Go to Dogpile the Book. I guess now you can go from to whenthebottomfalls.com, and you can buy the new book. 
It's uh, pre-ordered on now. It'll be uh, released in about two months. But you go ahead and get in line. Uh, we Pre-sales have been really strong. Thank you very much for that. But uh, while you're there, you can get Dogpile. Uh, you can get Alpha Dogs and Flim Flam. And uh, also, too, our, we've got a turkey book on there. I didn't write it, but uh, a guy that was with my publisher wrote it. And sadly, he passed away. So if you've got turkey hunters in your family, you can also go to my website and buy the turkey book. How about that? And if you're not a member of jeanspage.com, what are you doing with your life? Come over there and join us. It's going to be great. We're going to give you unprecedented coverage of Mississippi State football uh, this year. That's our goal to you, and it's our mandate to ourselves. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 